0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong.
1: Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you, Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson today, Mary Lucas, we've we've given her the day off. Yes. She's she's deserved it. She's still got a turkey hangover, which, you know... It
2: happens to the best it, of it, us. it
1: does happen to the best of us. Sam, how are you?
2: I'm great. You know, we were talking about our Thanksgiving. We just wrapped it up and feel like we're like full force into, into holiday season here. It's a crazy time of year for us. It seems nonstop. We've got Thanksgiving, my birthday, which, fun fact, my husband and I share a birthday in December, so...
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, we we got to talk more yes. about that later on. On or maybe on another day. That's Definitely. Uh, the double birthday. I've never come across that before with it's a fun. couple. Uh, <laughs> no
2: excuse for him to forget.
1: Right? Exactly. Oh man, pressure is on. Pressure is on. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get this shotgun of a show going. We've got a wonderful guest that we're excited to talk to. One of our own. This is Allison Loaf. She is a palliative care social worker at Transitions Life Care. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Allison, because you've got some great perspective to share, not only in your role at Transitions, but also in your personal caregiving journey. Um, So, first off, let's just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started as a palliative care social worker.
3: Sure. Um, So, I originally grew up in San Francisco, um, and I've lived a bunch of places since uh, graduating from high school. Um, And I, um, at one point, went to Decided to go to grad school and when I finished graduate school ended up uh, moving down here to North Carolina because my parents had settled here, um, and they lived in Nashville. Asheville. So, um, that was my sort of start of things. Um, it took me kind of a while when I was, um, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and at some point I found social work and um, was trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. And one of the things I loved about social work was you can do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found out that you could actually work with, you know, hospice patients um, and older adults. And I thought that sounded really great. So um, that was kind of my goal. And, um, you know, in looking for hospice jobs, I actually stumbled upon the job that I have now as a palliative care social worker. Um, And, you know, have just been in love with it since then. It's really great. Position to do. That's um, amazing, and you know, really interesting. It really challenges me.
2: So it really does, and you know, it's so funny. I feel like I feel like too. I also sort of stumbled into transitions in the hospice world. So it's it's all it's kind of funny how that all comes together. You know. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about your personal journey as a caregiver. Where did it start for you?
3: Yeah. So my mom um, got sick. Uh, She'd been sick for a while, in kind of 2019 to 2020, um, and she was diagnosed with uh, multiple myeloma in May of 2020, Um, and as they were kind of trying to figure out how to best treat her cancer, um, they found a large mass in her liver, and it turned out she had two primary cancers going on at the same time. Um, you know, and because of you know what I was doing for work, um, you know, I knew this was not a good prognosis, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we kind of, you know, my dad, my mom and I, you know, kind of prepared ourselves for, you know, things are not going great. Um, and my dad and I ended up being, um, you know, my mom's caregiver um, for about four or five days at home with hospice, um, you know, as she, as she was dying. So Mm -hmm. that happened in July of 2020. So it was a really fast, um, you know, really fast transition from diagnosis to, oh no, this is bad to, you know, we're in hospice and she's dying. Mm
2: -hmm. So So how did you and your family kind of come to that decision that hospice was right for you i know personally for me you know i went through a a similar experience with my grandmother and you know for those of Mm -hmm. us who work in it every day it seems kind of like a logical step but it still can be really hard too when it's happening personal personally to you to make that decision so how did you guys as a family kind of talk about that start that conversation and then ultimately come to that decision
3: when um When I was in grad school, I had an internship with a hospice agency. And one of the things that we learned, you know, while I was doing that was about advanced directives. And I said to my parents, okay, we need to have these conversations, because I don't know what you want. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, if you suddenly can't speak for yourself, I'd like to be able to say, you know, here's what you want to do. So my parents and I had actually had those conversations, and my parents had, you know, very similar wishes, you know, if it was something, you know, terminal that was, you know, not going to get better. They didn't want to kind of prolong things, you know, they wanted to be comfortable at home. Um, So we knew what my mom's wishes were. Um, We did actually, when my mom was in the hospital during that time, we had a palliative care consult, Mm. um, you know, with the hospital there. And the doctor was really helpful, just kind of helped to kind of affirm, you know, what we thought my mom's goals were and just make, you know, we're able to make sure that she really was kind of at peace and you know, read, understood that she was dying and, you know, that she was
2: okay with that fact. Mm-hmm. That's great that you guys had already had that kind of discussion. So you already yeah. knew, you know, what their what their um, hopes were and what what they wanted for, for that time when it came, which we'll talk about a little bit too in our second segment. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, how do you think your experience shifted in the way that you work with families and patients today?
3: Yeah, I think um, – So hospice, I'm a huge proponent of hospice. I think it's a really Mm -hmm. great service. And it's a lot of, you know, something that a lot of people don't know about necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they kind of don't know that you can, you know, be at home and be comfortable and, you know, die in a way that you would like. It's not just, you know, in the hospital when you're, you know, really ill. Um, So, you know, I I was so excited to have hospice. Um, And it was great support, but it was really difficult, too, to be a caregiver Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I hadn't kind of thought about, you know, that you're there. You know, my dad and I were in charge of, you know, giving my mom medicines, you know, cleaning her, turning her, you know, all of that. And it was really difficult. You know, it's very physically taxing, but also emotionally taxing, too. You know, mm-hmm. you're processing and you're watching as this person is really declining and sort of dwindling away. So, you know, it was really hard. Um, you know, it was, it was hard to be there. You know, we kind of took turns. We took a lot of naps. You know, we mm-hmm. tried a lot, we, yeah. you know, kind of all of that.
2: So, Yeah. And do you, what do you, so what do you recommend to patients and families that are in that scenario having gone through that yourself?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I think I try to make sure that um, that patients and families really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to go home, um, you know, I think that's a great place to be if they're comfortable. But I want, I like to help people understand that it's going to be work, you know, mm-hmm. that you're going to be responsible for everything you know i think people sort of assume that Mm -hmm. hospice is going to come in and somebody's going to be there at your beck and call 24 7 and it's really not you know Mm -hmm. you're there doing the day in and day out care and that can be really really hard and i i like to make sure that families know that sometimes it's okay to say hey i can't do that Mm -hmm. you know some people you know really want to but you know especially if we have, you know, older folks with a frail, you know, their loved one is very frail and they kind of have to say, you know, I can't care for them physically. I can't turn them. I can't do this, Mm -hmm. you know, so kind of helping people to realize like, hey, this is what it's actually going to look like when you do have hospice at home and, Mm -hmm. you know, helping them to figure out if that's really something they can do feasibly.
2: Yeah. It's really great to be able to offer it um, and talk to you about families from a personal point of view, if you've, you know, gone through it yourself, like I did with my grandmother, too, you know, I bring that up a lot when I'm meeting and talking with families, because you're right, uh, a lot of times families think, oh, I'm going to have a nurse in there 24-7, and they'll be able to just mm-hmm. kind of take it all over. And that's, like you said, that's definitely not the case with hospice, while, you know, we may be would love to be able to provide that kind of care. That's um, not exactly right. what hospice looks like. So being able to give them recommendations on it, like you said, it's okay to bring in additional supports, and you might need to, and it's okay if you can't do it all on your own, because um, it is a big right. undertaking. So you know, that's why we try to offer right. some great resources on the show for folks. So tell us a little bit, you have a special part of this story that's unique to you. To you. Tell us about your COVID hair. <laughs> yeah, I, um, so I got my cut
3: in January of 2020. And then I'm not usually very good at cutting my hair anyway, so I usually <laughs> go for quite a while. but. Um, COVID kind of exacerbated that, um, you know, nobody was getting haircuts. So Yes. Um, I just kind of c- continued to let my hair grow. Um, and at some point in that process decided, Hey, my hair's getting really long. Like what should I do with it? <laughs> um, and kind of decided like, it might be a good way to honor my mom to, um, you know, grow it out and donate it. So, um, I ended up, I got my hair cut at the end of October, um, this year. So I, you know, almost. Not quite two years, but almost two mm-hmm. years of hair growing out.
2: Wow. Um,
3: and I ended up cutting off about nine inches.
2: That's um, awesome. And
3: was able to donate it to an organization called Children with Hair Loss. Um, so they make wigs for kids who have, you know, alopecia or you know, cancer, that kind of stuff.
2: That's amazing. I wish I had that kind of patience to grow my hair out, but I never <laughs> do. <laughs> it was It was hard, and there were
1: a lot of hair monsters at our house. Oh, I'm sure. I think someone needs to go back and and document all the different COVID hairstyles at the time, because uh, it it got rough. uh, Personally speaking for me, it got rough for uh, a while there. But, uh, yeah, well, we're we're very pleased to have Allison Loaf on the program right now. She's a palliative care social worker at Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Stick around. You're listening to... To aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 985 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic.
0: This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 985 AM 680 WPTF. With your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong.
1: You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Allison Loaf. She is a palliative care social worker at Transitions Life Care and Last segment, we kind of went over Allison's caregiving journey, but now, Sam, we're going to transition a little bit and have a a deeper discussion on palliative care.
2: Mm -hmm. So, Allison, in your role with Transitions, you are one of our palliative care social workers who actually works in our hospital settings, Um, and I think a lot of people hear about palliative care. Most of their experiences with it are in a hospital setting, but there's also outpatient palliative care. Um, So for us at Transitions, we're really fortunate that we have a great relationship with WakeMed Hospitals where we actually have a team that's fully staffed in there full time and they are there to provide palliative care consults for patients and families. Um, So that's kind of part of your role. You're one of our social workers with palliative care. So you're seeing patients and families in one of the most stressful settings of all in the hospital. A lot of people Mm -hmm. may not know and I See this quite often when I'm meeting with patients and families in my day to day role with transitions. Um, They don't really know what palliative care is. So let's just start there. Allison, what is palliative care?
3: Yeah, so palliative care is um, sort of the bigger umbrella, um, and hospice is a part of palliative care. Um, So palliative care is um, a a support service, Um, it's a medical service. Um, But the goal really is to focus on, um, you know, identifying goals, uh, you know, goals that patients and families have and really helping them to come to fruition. So um, people can have palliative care um, if they have sort of a long term chronic illness. Um, Or if they have a new illness, um, we see people in the hospital with both, you know, so somebody who maybe has had cancer for a while and is still fighting it. um, Or we see people who have um, something new happen, you know, a new stroke or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really, our job is to kind of support patients and families. um, And we gather, you know, with patients and families and really try to have discussions about what their goals are for their care. So we want to know, you know, what would be acceptable to them? What do they consider quality of life? What things are important to them? You know, what do they need to do every day? What do they want to do? Um, What are the things that they, you know, can't live without?
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, And really helping them to, um, to understand kind of the whole picture of what's going on with their uh, medical care. So, you know, when in the hospital, um, different specialties are involved and they come and talk about just your heart or just your lungs. Um, we try to put that together for everybody in a big p- a big picture um, and help them kind of understand, you know, well, what's really going on? You know, your heart may be getting better, but overall the picture is not good. Mm-hmm. So we try to um, help families, patients and families understand, you know, what's actually happening and then um, help to kind of connect that with their goal. So, you know, if their goals are to continue um, aggressive treatment as long as possible, the goal is to get as much time, um, you know, out of of you know of things. Then that's what we do. If the goal is to be you know comfortable and kind of enjoy the time that they have left, you know, that's what we try to help and advocate for.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. I think that's one of the great things about palliative care, especially in a hospital setting, uh, is that, like you mentioned, you know, you have a lot of different specialists coming in to see you, and it can get. So confusing for patients and their families. Mm-hmm. So, kind of having that person to to tie it all together and right. as best they can put it in a neat bow for you um, is so helpful right. in that in that type of setting. Right. Um, tell us a little bit. So, what are the differences between palliative care and hospice care? Because when I'm talking to families, I think a lot of times they get the two confused because they are similar, but they're different at the same time.
3: Right. Right. So um, palliative care, I sort of think of as um, the, the conversation. So mm-hmm. really kind of getting to, um, getting to know what's, you know, what's going on with the patient and families, what their goals are, and, you know, trying to make sure that they're getting the care that they want and need. Um, it's also helping them to, you know, recognize that there are different ways to, to treat their medical conditions. You know, some people sort of assume that you have to do everything possible. And that's what the medical system tells us, but there are other ways to treat it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people want to draw lines in the sand and say, you know, if this happened to me, I wouldn't want this, but I'd be okay with this treatment. Or sometimes people will say, you know, I really don't want any of that. And I just want to be, you know, comfortable. I want to focus on having, you know, a a good amount of time you know, and good time, you know, left with my family if things are not getting better. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the the hospice piece of things comes in, where, you know, if somebody decides that they really want to focus on their comfort, then, um, you know, they may elect to have hospice, um, you know, wherever their home is.
4: Mm -hmm. So,
3: you know, hospice is really sort of that very kind of end of life care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it really starts earlier than people think it does. Yes. Um, you know, it can start as, you know, kind of if somebody has about six months or less, to, or less, less to live. So, um, you know, it's really just kind of connecting them with the pathway that seems best for them seems best with what their goals are. And, you know, kind of working on that, trying to get them to the, the outcome that they want.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When when I'm out educating on palliative care and hospice a lot, I kind of tell people, if you can take away one thing and remember one thing, it's that for palliative care, you can still seek some of those curative and aggressive treatments. So, you know, it's important to understand the, the differences between the two. So I have the million dollar question for you. How often would you say that you have a family and or patient that's unclear about what their wishes are once they're hospitalized?
3: That happens a lot. Actually, Um, that's that's a really common thing. Um, You know, that's one of the the things that we hear most often is, you know, well, we never talked about this, Mm -hmm. or you know, mom didn't want to talk about death, so we we don't know what she wants. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, um, that's, it's really common. And we try to really normalize that for people and, you know, help them to understand, like, nobody really wants to have a conversation about like, you know, what would you want to do if you had cancer? What would you want to do if you got into a bad car accident? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's very common for people not to discuss it, but it is really important to do it.
2: It is, and that's something, you know, we we definitely preach a lot about on the show. Um, how, mm-hmm. So how would you say that impacts people's care when they're in that kind of hospital setting and they haven't talked about their wishes or their wishes haven't been made clear?
3: Right. It can be really difficult for, you know, for families. So if um, a patient, for example, is on a ventilator and they can't talk to us. They're you know, sedated and they can't tell us what their wishes are. Um, you know, we look to their families then, and that can be really scary for families. It can be really overwhelming, and they can be really um, you know, anxious and feel like they're being asked to you know, sort of play God in a situation um, you know, because we're saying, you know, would they want to continue on or would you know, if they want to withdraw care and be allowed to pass away? um you know so that's it's a really you know it can be really hard for families so you know it it weighs a lot on people Mm -hmm. um and we have lots of you know one of our main roles in the hospital is to have meetings with families so we have a lot of meetings you know sometimes multiple times with families to kind of help hash through you know what would the best thing be what would mom say Mm -hmm. you know if she was sitting here across from us what would she tell you she wanted you know what things are important to her in her life you know some people say you know, I really, my mom loves to eat. And, you know, if she would have a, a peg tube, a feeding tube mm-hmm. you know, in her stomach, she would hate that. And yeah. so we don't want to do that. That's how we get to the kind of, you know, drawing lines in the sand and saying this is acceptable and this is not.
2: Yeah, these conversations are so important to have. And that kind of leads into my next question, which you mentioned in our first segment. Uh, what are advanced directives and why are they important?
3: Yeah, so advanced directives are legal notarized documents. Um, that are state specific and they really, there are two parts to them. The first part is identifying a healthcare power of attorney. um, And the second part is a living will. And um, so in North Carolina, um, there's actually a hierarchy of decision makers. So if somebody can't speak for themselves, um, there's a hierarchy by law of who would make decisions for them. Um, So typically if you're married, that's your spouse, um, if you don't have a spouse, then it would be um, either your parents or the combination of your parents and adult children. Um, if you don't have either of those, then it would be your sibling. So there's a, there's a um, you know, kind of a list of who they have to go through. Um, and in, in situations where there's really nobody, then you know, two physicians can decide together you know, what the best course of action is for somebody. But um, you know, advanced directives are a great way to say this is my person. This is who I want, want to speak for me. Um, you know, we've had these conversations and I know that they're going to follow my wishes. So a lot of times that's a spouse, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes mm-hmm. people will say, you know, my spouse is really sensitive and can't make that decision. So I'm going to choose to um, have my best friend be my power of attorney mm-hmm. because I know he or she can say, you know, exactly what I want. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, so there, the fact that there's that, um, there's a hierarchy is helpful because we know who we can go to. But if somebody wants a specific person, um, that's when it's really, I think, important to do mm-hmm. advanced directives because then we know who we should be talking to.
2: Absolutely. And we have some great past episodes too that go in depth on, on advanced directives, really getting the weeds on them. So if, if listeners want to nice. check that out, I encourage them to do so. Um, so okay. to wrap up with you, what are some of the most frequent questions that you get from families and or patients?
3: Yeah, I think um, the biggest question we get uh, when we walk into a room is, are you hospice? And is my loved one dying? Uh-huh. Um, you know, because it's a, it's hard to differentiate between palliative care and hospice. And people sort of assume, oh, I've heard of you. I know that you're hospice, you know, and people, you know, sometimes freak out or sometimes kind of shut down on us and say, you know, I, don't, I can't talk to you because, you know, you're talking about something that I'm not ready to discuss. But you know, we, So we end up doing a lot of education and just talking to families and patients and saying, you know, we're really here to support you. We're not here to talk you into or out of any specific treatment. We really just want you to identify your goals and we want to be your advocates and help you make sure that you get the care that you want. And the second thing that we hear a lot is, um, you know, what would you do if this was your mother or father? Which is really such a a difficult question to ask, to ask and to answer, you know, it's not our job to tell people what to do, um, you know, and that's why we really encourage people to have these conversations, you know, even though it's not fun, it's very awkward, and can be hard to think about, Um, you know, it really is Helpful to know what your loved ones want um, and helpful for you know the people in your life to know what your wishes are, so that you know if something did happen to you, God forbid you know that you your care will be you know in line with what you would like.
1: Yeah, even just thinking about that question, your stomach kind of just mm-hmm. drops there. So having that right. conversation ahead of time is is such a big help.
3: Right. And it, you know even even just a little bit, sometimes people. You know in seeing other family members who are sick they might say oh, i really don't want to be in a ventilator that looks really painful or that looks like they're suffering you know so kind of you know even just listening out for those you know hey you know mom saw her her own mother die in this manner and she thought it was not a good idea so you know how can we how can we make that you know not make sure that she has a different
4: outcome
1: that is the voice of allison loaf she is a palliative care social worker at Transitions Life Care. Allison, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your story and for giving us your perspective. I I think this is really helpful for a lot of people. So again, we, we always appreciate you taking some time here to chat with us.
3: Sure. Thank you guys for having me.
1: It was our pleasure. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF News, Talk, Traffic.
0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of
1: Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, you can do that online anytime at transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. Org. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Looking forward to having a discussion here about caregiving, as we often do on the program, and we're going to have a particular discussion on filling in the caregiving gaps. And to do that, we're pleased to welcome Amy Langerud. She's a RN geriatric care manager. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: I'm really excited to talk about this topic today. You know, This is something I, I bump into a lot in my day-to-day work. Um, in this episode, we've been talking a lot about filling in the gaps of caregiving. So in my day-to-day, I talk with a lot of families who are really struggling for caring for a loved one and finding resources. Um, either placement in an assisted living or skilled nursing facility may not be an option for them financially, or they may not qualify for skilled care at home like home health services. So Amy, what is the first step someone should take in this kind of scenario?
5: I think the first step that people should really take is identifying what the options are. Looking at the resources and um, making a decision on is this the direction to go in. That's the first question. Mm -hmm. Looking at the option, what type of care does this family want? What type of care do they need? How many hours? and what tasks do they really need help with because that's really, that really will determine the type of care and who provides the care,
4: mm-hmm.
5: whether they want it in the morning, whether they want it in the evening. All that goes into creating um, a schedule and the right fit of a caregiver who is in their home providing the care. And there are some wonderful resources out there in the community. There are a directory of resources and... A lot of the information, I think, is word of mouth, people finding out who they have um, used, who other friends or family, who they have used to provide this type of care, and um, going on those recommendations.
2: Definitely. I know I know we've used some of that. We've talked about it on the show before for my own grandmother, who is receiving care at home right now. Um, and kind of actually stemming from that, you know, her situation, she had COVID back in November. Um She's a tough little bird. She was 92, had COVID, was in the hospital for about five or six days, um, and then discharged home and was doing good. But you know, from that uh, hospitalization, it definitely took a little bit out of her. She was a little weaker and she did need a little more help at home. Um, And I really worked a lot with the hospital because their first um, instinct was to send her to a skilled nursing rehab. And for my family at the time, that was really not an option we wanted, um, given the current COVID environment. And also the only um, facility available to her was about two hours away from where my family was. So that was just not something we really wanted to delve in at that time. So we kind of had to make the decision, okay, we want to bring her home. And in my talking to a lot of families, um, given a lot of the recent visit restrictions, a lot of nursing facilities have right now, a lot of more caregivers are choosing to bring their loved ones home instead. So Amy, what are some things that people can do to make sure, first of all, that their loved one is safe at home?
5: Um, so there are a couple things once people, I think once they make the decision to come home, they need to make sure that that environment is the safest environment possible because when you are in a facility, all those things are really taken care of for you that you don't even think about, but um, just making sure even there's adequate lighting or um, depending on the diagnosis, of course, that there aren't any maybe sharp objects around or Mm -hmm. the medicines are hidden all the rugs are adhered to the floor to avoid falls or, you know, any hazards all those things that you don't think about that somebody at home, again, depending on the diagnosis could get into. But, um, you know, it's also making sure that there's care at home and that somebody is there, that they're, they're not left alone. And, um, some of that also is looking again, it gets back to looking at what options I think, um, you know, making sure that somebody is always with this person Mm -hmm. and avoiding falls. That's like the number one thing, absolutely avoiding falls, because if somebody does fall, then it's, you know, things often change pretty significantly from that. When somebody also is going home, I'm also a big advocate of having an OT, uh, occupational therapist, or physical therapist really come home, come into the home and look at the home to make any suggestions. Do they need a grab bar? Are there any modifications to the shower? Um, just allowing accessibility. So,
4: mm-hmm.
5: all those things allowing somebody, you know, decluttering, all those things, again, that you might not think of, but allowing that person to um, be cared for at home.
2: Yeah, definitely. I know we, we did that, too, as well for uh, my grandmother. When she returned home, we really kind of had to take a deeper look into, OK, you know, you're home with a roll eater now and it's a little tougher for you to move around and you're not moving as quickly as you uh-huh. did before. So wonder there's some things we can do here to make this a little bit of a safer environment for you since we do want to keep you at home?
5: And since a lot of there, people there are, are also. Oh, go uh, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say there are home safety checklists online, like I know the Alzheimer's Association has a great one, very thorough, so that's that could really be kind of a checklist for people who are um, choosing to care for their loved ones at home.
2: Mm, definitely a good resource for folks to check out. And since a lot of people right now are choosing in-home care, are there different levels of that type of care?
5: There are, and that really has to be considered because the cost of the care is different. Depending on what their loved one needs, there are personal care options, companion care, or maybe somebody just wants someone to sit with their family member. Mm-hmm. And those those um, the cost of that varies slightly, but it it there is a difference in the level of care whether somebody needs more um, you know more skilled care. So, and the other, you know, thing is that this type of care also is considered custodial most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's all usually provided by a non-medical provider or agency, whatever, whatever. Um, and we can talk about that, whatever resource you use mm-hmm. to provide the care, but it's, um, it's really helping with their bathing, dressing, eating, and getting in and out of bed. All that also is something, you know, that is not typically covered by Medicare also. Mm-hmm. So, but they're, um, the, still, the type of care that they need, whether it be somebody to help with assisting them with toileting or um, showering, might cost a little bit more than having someone just sit with someone for safety. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, we need to be clear on what they need.
2: Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, kind of assessing your needs first is a, is a big help in that. Um, I know I have a lot and of... the
5: agency... Go ahead. No, the agencies will do that also. When somebody identifies with an agency, they'll have somebody come out, it's typically a nurse, that will come out and meet with the family and do a complete assessment. It's just together as a team to decide what their needs are and the nurse often makes their recommendations. Definitely. Um,
2: and I know I have a lot of people ask me or sometimes leave even call, you know, us at transitions. And after talking to them for a little while, I'll kind of find out, okay, it sounds like you're looking for more of like a private duty or a PCA, a personal care assistant, we call them uh, type service. Mm-hmm. So can you, I know you've talked about some that they can help um, with some of the daily assistance things, but can you talk with us a little bit about what they are and what they are not. How can they help you in providing care for a loved one at home?
5: How can a a personal care assistant? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so some of the things that they can do which are really important when somebody is at home, assistance with meal, meal prep, medication reminders, running errands, transportation to doctor's appointments is a big one, even acting as a scribe for when these – family, you know, these family members go to appointments, even light housekeeping or taking them to church, whatever's really important with them. That would be more of um, like a, a companion. But personal care is more hands-on. Cleaning them up in the, for personal care, cleaning them up in the bathroom, changing the pens, um, helping them get dressed, helping them with actually eating, so it's, um, it's a little – personal care is a little bit more hands-on mm-hmm. versus more the companion, sitting, and, and care like that.
1: We're speaking with Amy Langerud. She is a RN geriatric care manager with Preferred Living Solutions, and we're going to continue our conversation all about – filling in the caregiving gaps right after this you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98 5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic
0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that
1: surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. If you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, you can do that online anytime at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Amy Langerud. She is a RN and geriatric care manager with Preferred Living Solutions, and we're having a conversation about filling in the caregiving gaps and uh, as if caregiving wasn't challenging enough, <laughs> but there's, there's always those items that we, we often don't think about, or you know sometimes we're in a crisis mode and you know we're, we're trying to do things the best we can as quickly as we can. and there's there's always something where we're not really able to sit down and plan things out. Mm-hmm. but with, with enough vision, we can do that, and that's why we've got Amy here to help guide us along the way.
2: Yes, and Amy, we're so grateful to have you here. Um, in our last segment, we were just talking, delving into a little bit about private duty aids or personal care assistance. Um, and I know mm-hmm. that for a lot of people, the cost of that can really be a barrier. Um, are there other options out there for people to maybe consider?
5: There are other options. Um, and I, I do want to just say one thing that often this care is paid privately. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is covered under their long-term care benefits. Sometimes we're finding that some of the managed care HMOs do have coverage for some of this care that's considered kind of uh, ADL, custodial, mm-hmm. non-skilled, and sometimes there are VA benefits. But um, the other thing that I also tell families is you really have to get creative uh, when you're looking at keeping somebody at home, and that might mean having families supplement the care. So maybe you have somebody come in in the morning for a couple hours, in the middle of the day, in the evening. But in those gaps, somebody's there from the family. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, some some relative, whatever that looks like, or friends, or you know, looking into the community, looking at resources. There are resources out there. There are volunteer agencies just to make friendly visits through their church. So it's or there's adult day programs, I and mean, that that the. That the person can go into during the day. So there are different options. But again, it's getting, it's getting creative and it's important at the same time to keep that person engaged at home. Just because they're home, there can be a lot less stimulation that's in, the, in a facility. So mm-hmm. keeping them involved, not just sitting them in front of the TV. And one of the you know, couple ways that people look at people have, so it's either through agency that you're getting care or care.com. Some people have had great success on the next door app. Mm -hmm. which we all have in our neighborhood. So, and they're all, you know, you want to make sure that everyone, you get a background check. And for the agency, one of the reasons that I like agency, I'm actually in a situation where my mom is at home Mm -hmm. with 24 hour care. And we actually prefer the agency. It's just a personal preference, whatever people want, because we know that if one of the shifts can't make it, if somebody calls in, we are guaranteed backup. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, definitely comforting so if we have an 11 to 7 everybody lives well I live eight hours away but everybody else lives an hour away we've got a real problem of, right. you know 10 o'clock if somebody calls in so um, but all of them you know I think that's one of the things people have to think about when they're hiring someone privately is payroll tax forms um, are they bonded and a lot of that can be taken care of mm-hmm. on care.com When people hire privately, you still are able to do some of that. You can run your own background check and do some of that. But you just have to be careful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it also, again, is done by word of mouth. Some people might know someone. My twin sister works in a hospital, so she tends to see different people around. And we've had, this has been going on years, we've had a gamut of people in the home. But Mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, somebody that you feel safe with and someone that's a good fit with your family member at home. And, that, you know, that's really kind of another important piece that it's it's very invasive to be in someone's home. That's yeah. their home. That's it's, um, In the privacy of their home, you have someone who you don't know. It's a very personal experience. You really want to make sure that it's a good fit on both ends for the caregiver and the client.
2: Yeah, that is so true. I know that was one of our concerns with my grandmother, too. And, and I've talked to, to about... On the show before about how we have kind of had to piecemeal some uh, care for her because currently um, with her situation, hiring an agency was very cost prohibitive for us as a family. So mm-hmm. we did, like you mentioned, do some of those other resources around the community. Um, she's very involved with her church community, so we were able to kind of lean on them a little bit and ask around and get some people in town um, and kind of the big uh laugh we have right now is actually her very sweet hairdresser has offered to come and (laughs) and help her out so I think that's a great too for she gets her weekly hairdo done and she's also been a great help in helping her with picking up groceries taking her to appointments things like that so you know it's such a great point you mentioned to to really check some of those other resources you may not think of like next door um I know I'm part of a few Facebook groups even um, for caregivers who, you know, I see a great community on there. They'll go and post and say, hey, I'm looking for this or I need this for my mom or dad or whomever. And people can just kind of chime in and, and bring resources. But um, that is a good point yeah, because that's fantastic. I have brought that up with my family before. You know, OK, if so, if her caregiver for the day can't make it, what? What's our backup? We don't have a backup. So that is a good a thing mm-hmm. to consider, too, when you're looking at maybe hiring an agency. Um, and I know you said you've gone through using an agency yourself um, in caregiving for your family member. Are there any tips that you would want to share with how you should go about finding the right agency for
5: you? That actually is, has been really challenging, especially mm-hmm. with COVID. Yes. So what, I mean, we all know we're in a caregiver shortage and I suspect we'll see some changes with the vaccine mandate. Mm-hmm. We have had caregivers who are refusing to vaccinate or get tested, so that will eliminate some from the pool. But you know, it's just um, it's constantly watching the situation. And even though initially I think you might find a, the greatest caregiver, so you think, in time I think people get comfortable. So it's I'm also an advocate of doing kind of random, unplanned checks, where you just stop in, look at the house, you know, does it does it look tidy, does it look like it, you know, is the meal prep adequate or are they just throwing something together, are they on their phone? So um, it's really, it's hard to say just, you know, sometimes agencies are very reputable. I've, I have had this in with clients and I'll arrange for a caregiver and it does not work out. Mm-hmm. So it's really specific to the caregiver. But you can't give up because there definitely are diamonds in the rough. Absolutely. So you could have just the the worst experience, but then the next caregiver that comes is just this incredible, beautiful fit with with your loved one.
4: Mm-hmm. So
5: it's just it's finding an agency. Often they have different requirements. Some have three hour minimum, Some have four hour requirements. So it just it really depends. And right now I have a- had agencies say to me you'll need to look at another agency. Mm. And so we, you know, you just kind of bounce around till you find somebody who um, is available as a personally, we've had to use quite a few different agencies to provide coverage and we do a blend. We have somebody hired privately, somebody hired through the agency um, and somebody through care.com and we've, we've kind of rotated and it waxes and Mm wanes. So that's, yeah. So yeah. it's finding the best situation that you can, but there's no magic pill, you know, there's no magic <laughs> wand for the greatest caregiving situation. And, you know, um, you just have to, It's there's a lot of luck and, and just circumstance. And they're constantly bringing on new caregivers into the situation, which is nice.
2: Yeah, that is great. And it's such a good idea to kind of piece a whole bunch of different options together there. Uh, so Amy, are there yeah, any last resources that you would want to share? I know you mentioned some directories that are available, but any resources that um, our listeners should check out?
5: Um, I think uh, the resource directory in uh, particular that I mentioned was it's resources for seniors. And that is like my care management Bible.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I, I just think it's wonderful. And, um, and even if not only does the book provide information, you could call up the number in the book, and they're online, obviously, and um, ask any question you want. I've asked them both on a personal level for my mom and as a care manager. Um, I think, again, the whole, uh, depending on the diagnosis, Alzheimer's Association, and I'm saying this, again, personally and, and, um, you know, as a care manager, Alzheimer's Association has been fantastic Fantastic. There's lots of suggestions there, Um, Dementia Alliance, there's support for people. The last thing that you want to say also is just even uh, looking at, um, it's more for facilities, but Medicare.gov is wonderful Mm -hmm. for information. And then also um, Department of um, HHS, HHS it's HHS.gov, North Carolina Department of HHS. HHS.gov, a little tongue twister there, <laughs> and um, they're also they're also great for resources, though. And they're, you know, it's out there. People are willing to help, and just finding someone to help you navigate through all the complexities because it's it's challenging. It, it really is challenging, and um, it's sometimes it takes a lot of time and effort to get the answers that you want, but. Um, it's just, you know, they need mm-hmm. someone, someone even, it could be a, a family member to advocate for them and help identify what their goals are and then someone to tie it all together.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that is wonderful advice. That is the voice of Amy Langerud, and she is an RN and geriatric care manager with Preferred Living Solutions. Amy, if folks want to find more information about you, is PreferredLivingSolutions.com the best place to do that? Yes. Perfect. Yes, they
5: can read a little bit about all the care managers and our contact information, email and phone numbers with both offices in Wake Forest and Clayton are there.
1: Excellent. PreferredLivingSolutions.com. Amy, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. We really appreciate it.
5: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Well, we are, again, just about out of time here on the show today. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with a friend, be sure to go to WPTF.com, click on podcasts, and there you'll find Aging Matters and you can find this episode as well as all of our previous episodes as well on behalf of sam peterson i am jason kong thanking you for listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98 5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic have a wonderful day
0: You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.